This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Ollie, hello everyone. Hello, Ollie. Now, I think I'm right in saying that this is the first appearance you've had on the show since you set up your own little venture. Um, so would you like to tell everyone, before we get going, a nice little bit of self-promotion, what that venture's all about and, and where people can find your ramblings? Yeah, so myself and a United supporting friend, long-time friend of mine, have set up our own podcast called The Mancunian Way. Uh, on the face of it, we're mainly focused on a split, both City and United, uh, which makes for nice contrasts at the moment. Uh, but we're also getting guests from around the football world, uh, some of them linked with the club. So Jack Gorn, who Blues will all know, Johnny Schrager, who the Reds will all know. Uh, and most recently, outside of the sphere of the two clubs, is Michael Moses Jarman. He was on with us last week, so he's a football agent. Uh, Chloe Kelly is one of his clients, England's heroine in the uh, Euros recently. So, yeah, we're, we're just kind of doing our thing, having having a chat and shooting the breeze about both City and United, but with some really, really interesting guests coming on. Um, we've got some interesting guests coming up as well. So you'll find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, and of course on Twitter, it's the Mancunian Way podcast. 
Yeah, really nicely put. It's like you've practiced that already. Um, I have to say, I, w- I was listening to the the recent episode with the with the football agent, and I don't know if it was because I was in the fast lane on the M60 motorway, or it was just because the content. But I was gripped, genuinely gripped. And I don't mean to sound like this sort of condescending praise Jake Humphreys get because you sat because you sat in front of me, but it was really, really good, it, it, and the insight as well. So really, do go and check that out, Mancunian Way podcast. It's on Twitter, uh, as you said, Ollie, and and all sorts of uh, podcast platforms um we'll get on to today's episode then because there's plenty to speak about and and i mean there's only one place to start really obviously that's newcastle free manchester city free but before we do just before coming on air ellen white obviously you mentioned chloe kelly there from england's lionesses victory in the european championships she announced her retirement from football too early just like literally 10 minutes before we're coming on so i'll make sure to cover that on the episode later on in the week but back to what happened at saint james's park because it really was a breathless affair genuinely one of those games where the full-time whistle hits and you just have to sort of slump in your seat thinking what on earth has just gone on um you feel like city were kind of lucky to get away with a point or, or that, that's what it felt like at one point I don't know the sort of the last half an hour or so maybe swung it in City's way but plenty for us to unpack sort of individual talking points but let's just start off with the the sort of the main game itself what did you make of that match at full time? Oh, it's vintage Barclays isn't it? It really Vintage was, yeah. Barclays. It, it, it was amazing for the neutral and I've got to be completely honest. Listen, I would rather it was a boring 1-0 win, of course, mm. you know, whatever it takes to get the three points. But it was nice. It's always nice to see teams coming out and having a go. And the the accusation that City are boring, I think I might have covered this before, but the accusation that City are boring is not our fault. When mm. teams sit back, they pack 10 men into their own box we're obviously going to take our time and play through them. That is the way that you break down these teams. It's no good just slinging low probability balls into the box and inviting a counter onto us. You know, we, we, we're very methodical, we're very mechanical, and we take our time in breaking down these deep set defences. But the teams that do get a result off us, or at least points off us, are not those teams. It's mm. the teams that come out and play. In the last couple of years, from what I can remember, Leeds have taken points off us. Yeah. Southampton have taken points off us. Newcastle, a, a load of clubs that you would say are not as good as us have taken points off us because they've come out and had a go. So, I mean, listen, I, I enjoyed it. I, I was a bit gutted. I thought we'd left ourselves enough time to go out and get a winner. Mm. Uh, we probably should have done, but I, I think just the the flow of the game kind of broke down and credit to Newcastle for that. I think they managed it well. They had players going down. They were wasting a bit of time here and there. Uh, Maybe even the VAR incident with Trippier just kind of ruined our flow a little bit. So uh, mixed emotions. I'm pleased because we've shown again that we don't know when we're beaten, which Mm. is really nice. We're kind of making that our thing now. Uh, We had a great game to sit back and enjoy. Although I don't think any of us were sitting back. It was more edge of the seat <laughs> stuff. But uh, the downside is that, yeah, listen, we, we've we got to expect that we can win every game. And when we leave ourselves with 30 minutes of football to play, it, it would have been nice to have found a winner. But listen, Sir Maximan, Wilson, we, we were torn apart at times, to be fair. And I think a draw was probably the right result in the end. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't think really on the balance of it anyone can argue with the draw. I think that sort of little bit of recency bias towards the last 20 minutes or so when City are on top, maybe you sort of come away going, oh yeah, we definitely could have won that. But up until an hour's play, I was thinking 3-1's probably a good result for City because it felt like Newcastle could really have torn City to shreds. Um, I think it's really interesting what you say about the, the sort of teams that City drop points to because just last season, if you remember, City only dropped points to four teams in the league, but it was a case of dropping uh, points to those four teams on eight occasions, both home and away. Obviously, Southampton, Crystal Palace, Liverpool and Tottenham. And, you know, they, they were they're different teams, very different teams, but they all had one thing in common and it was the sense that we were they weren't afraid to go and attack City and, and we saw that against Newcastle and a lot was made pre-game about Eddie Howe's wretched record against City but fair play, fair play I think that's all you have to say after that, fair play to Newcastle. Now, do you think that, because um, after full time a lot was being made about this blueprint of how to take points off City, you know, that, that was the buzzword yesterday evening or Sunday evening. Do you think that is now it going to be for City? Every single team's going to come at them because obviously with the introduction of Haaland, and we'll cover every single talking point today, but but just to start off with, a lot of teams get beaten five or six nil by City playing like that, don't they? Was it a case of Newcastle just had their absolute A game and City were off it? Or is there a little bit more that you can sort of read into it? I the, the, both the case. I think, of course, Newcastle were on their A game. They they executed everything they were trying to execute perfectly, and they really did suffocate us at times. I do think there was perhaps a ta- tactical failure on our part. Um, the best example is Kyle Walker. I mean, hmm. the, the, there's a bit of a mix here. Was it his performance, or was it the way we were set up? It's actually a bit of both. Uh, I think I tweeted this to you guys straight after the game. I, I can't remember, but. After the first few minutes when it was clear that when Newcastle had a had an opportunity to turn over and break, that Walker was kind of in no man's land in the number six position, mm. that was causing us huge issues. And I, I'm not Pep, but if I was Pep, right then and right there, I'd be screaming to Kyle Walker, flat back four, you mm. sit in and you watch that break. And I think had we have done that, we might have been able to prevent a couple of the goals. Um, is there a blueprint to beat us? Don't be silly. Absolutely not. There's, there's <laughs> no blueprint to beat City. You never know how we're going to set up for a start. You never know who we're going to put on the pitch. You might have a team that are going to go and exploit that left side or our right side next week, but find that Walker is playing a flat back four. Or we've got Chancello in that position. There's, there's never a blueprint to beat a team as good as us. Um I, I just think it was just one of those games. They were well up for it. We were possibly a bit slow, or we definitely were a bit slow. Tactically, I think we played into their hands with their pace on the break. And ultimately, again, we weren't we weren't perhaps all that clinical. Foden's mischance comes to mind. Uh, mm. Haaland had a couple of decent efforts. Nick Pope had a great game. On another day, we're looking at 2-0 because Foden's put it in and then we just go on from there as we do and control the game. On another day, you're right, it could have been 4-5-6-1 to Newcastle. And on another day, we complete the comeback and we win 4-3. It's just one of those. Uh, I wouldn't read too much into player performances or team performance off the back of this one, to be honest. It was a thrilling game and I think everyone should just uh, just leave it at that and, and crack on for next week with Palace. 
Yeah, yeah, it's really difficult to properly analyse a game like that because it is literally just one of those matches that, that come along every now and again. I remember Liverpool went to Brentford last year. That was a free-free draw. They, they, they just happen, and especially in this Premier League season, which so far, what are we, three games in, has seemed really quite crazy. There's sort of mental stuff going on all over the place. And I'm, I'm going to say touch wood, it doesn't happen again this season, a game like that. Who knows, maybe it does next week or, or in the coming months, but it, it felt like one of those games that isn't going to be replicated. And, and Guardiola picks up on that. He said after full time, it was a great football match, one the neutrals will enjoy. And, and that's not something you'd ever attribute to Guardiola team or, or, or the sort of performances. It's uber control. He actually got a little bit hairy when one of the reporters said, you know, you, you lost control of the game. How did how did you feel about that? And, you know, fair play. He said he said he just praised the opposition, which I think it was sort of part of the result was just how good Newcastle were. Um, unsurprisingly, though, there was a lot of fallout online, uh, a particular half-time, which you sort of do your, your half-time Twitter scroll, and it was an absolute hellscape. It was it was utterly, utterly mental, some of the stuff I was reading. And I just had to sort of just close the app at, at one point because I'm thinking this is going to rile me up too much. But um, we had a question from yourself, actually, yours truly, and you said, you know, tongue-in-cheek, should we be considering allowing Walker and Foden to leave on a free? And I think a few people really would have, at 45 minutes gone in that game, really would have taken you up on that offer because some of the hysteria was just, it was utter nonsense, was it? I don't know what you made of it, but it was just sort of covering the eyes and, and hoping for the best. I'm covering my eyes now. I know this is literally an audio podcast, yeah. For the benefit of the day, thinking back to them, even space, just yeah. yeah, just thinking back to them. I mean, ugh, these people. Are we on a clean podcast here, or can I swear? Like, if you want to swear, you can be yeah, our guest. If you're one of these people that is in the absolute pits of this app, just fucking pack it in. <laughs> Series. I mean, there's no other way to say it. like. But you know what's mad? A lot of these accounts, these these reactionary accounts that are like either complete one end or the other of the extreme, a lot of these people within the last three months would have been tweeting, this is Foden's Ballon d'Or charge season, Kyle yeah. Walker's the best right back in the world. And it's like because Walker got outpaced by Joe Willock once, <laughs> it's like he, his pace has gone. He's lost the yeah. yard, hasn't he? He's finished. We need to get Reese James. Foden, Foden needs time on the bench. He's selfish, yeah. you know. He's, he's not. He's not doing. He's not developing all this. Just shut up. Like <laughs> it, it. It could literally have been as simple as Foden made a judgment call, not necessarily a bad one, because we've seen when this is slowed down that the angle was potentially cut off to Harland. Carl hmm. Walker might have had a dodgy pass to the day before, and might have just had a little bit of stomach cramp that was keeping him hmm. half yard. Whatever it was, it's just ridiculous. Do you know what? If we get to Christmas. And Walker has consistently been half a yard slower, then we can talk about it. If we get to Christmas and Foden's really struggling to, to, to connect with Haaland and link up and get the assists and his finishing is still a little bit iffy, then we can talk about it. But these people, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And what I would say as well, if any of you guys are listening, people with the bigger Twitter accounts, the bigger city Twitter accounts with the big reach, just stop interacting with these people. Um, I, I tweeted Stephen McInerney about it actually as well yesterday and I said I wouldn't actually see these people on my timeline if you weren't interacting with them because obviously mm. it says Stephen replied to blah 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 this person replied to blah 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 um, I deliberately don't follow these people so big city Twitter accounts just 
just stop interacting with these idiots, honestly. Um, so, yeah, my answer is yes, we should be allowing Walker to leave on a free and we should look <laughs> to terminate Foden's contract as soon as we can. Ran over. You know what? I've been, I'm, I've been fairly laid back every time I've been on this pod, but I've just got to get that out there because it's just ridiculous. And again, it's been a great game of football. Some players were off it. Some players were on it. And that's it. Just just, yeah. just leave it there. There's, it, there's no pattern emerging here. It's one game. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that's it from me on that one. Thank you, Amos. Yeah, succinctly put. <laughs> yeah, succinctly put completely. And I mean, uh, regular co-host, of course, Adam Booker. I don't know if anyone saw his Twitter on Sunday afternoon. It he was royally taking the piss. I think you could you fair to say, you know, he he was coming out with it all, and to to a to a point where a couple of people didn't sort of recognise the sarcasm. He was taking it that far, and I mean, he, he's he's busy this week with with other engagements. But I got a message on on the night of the game saying, just let me come on the pod for ten minutes or whatever. I need to I need to complain. <laughs> about this we, we've uh we, for, for the benefit of retaining some of our listeners we've decided that's probably not the best idea because because he, he would have gone off on an absolute boil but i mean you spot on and i mean you're right we're sort of engaging in that now and and it, it's a it's a sort of catch-22 situation but the, the everybody loves to jump to conclusions i mean i don't want to go off on a tangent here because there's plenty of, of valid stuff to speak about but everyone loves to jump to conclusions you know i was 15 minutes in thinking, and we'll get to it a little bit later on, but 15 minutes in thinking, you know what, Erling Haaland out of possession, you know, he could do a bit more, blah, blah. He goes and puts on a, a fantastic performance. We're all guilty of it, but it is just that sort of, that that utter nonsense, that, that sort of that sort of clamour, that that really wanting to get something that someone's going to react to and, and bite to, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cringy term, but, that, but that's how it is. Um, there's just one, one, one more point, just one more quick point to make on that, Amos, because there'll be a couple of people inevitably that will be listening to this that, that were one of those that were looking at that kind of performance and they are genuinely worried about Walker or whatever. I'm not a happy clapper. Yes, I'm main road Twitter, vintage Burt, whatever you want to call me. You know, if, if we're down in League One playing Grimsby away or whoever it is, I don't care. I'll still be there every week. Like, yeah. Uh, but I'm not a happy clapper. I understand that we're at a point where we do almost rightfully so expect almost perfection because mm. we are that good and I don't think we should expect to accept happily bad performances mm. my point really is that people need to stop making these broad sweeping statements on the future of a player's ability or career based on getting beaten for pace by Joe Willock yeah. <laughs> that, 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 yeah. that's the top and bottom of it yeah um, you know, I, I want Walker. I, I believe Walker should be almost flawless because he is one of the best right backs in the league. But if he isn't flawless, just chill, man. Just just take mm. a step back and and log off the app and go and have a drink. <laughs> super, yeah. super. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Head, I mean, really. as you as you alluded to before, if it if it's continuing and and it's a like you say it becomes a pattern, you know, fair enough. We'll be the first to voice our concerns. But I mean. Yeah. It, as it is, it's just nonsense. Um, right, a concern though that that does have to be shared is obviously what happened in the first half of Nathan Ake. Just last week, Adam and I w- were on here literally seven days ago having a de- having a debate about how Nathan Ake could cement himself in the starting eleven and essentially make himself undroppable by keeping up his level of performance. Now, probably didn't play enough. Yes, uh, sorry, on Sunday to um, properly analyse his performance there. But the first two games of the season, he was superb. 
his injury is a major blow for me. And I feel not least because obviously the other left-sided centre-half in Laporte is out injured too, but because of how he's set the bar so far this season and, and, and what he's offered both on the ball, off the ball, etc., etc. Um, how big of a blow do you feel like that could be? Where where do you rank him so far this season in that sort of cohort of, of defenders? Obviously, Laporte hasn't touched the pitch yet but you know he, he was given free starting berths um had to go off injured on Sunday and, and obviously we're in this strange season this year and we keep so it's that Simpsons mean taps the sign but it is the World Cup year and, and we do not know what's going to happen it may just come and go and, and like nothing's happened but there is a chance that squads are going to be stretched to the limit and injuries this early on in the season are a little bit of a worry yeah, you know, I I was guilty in the space of about 15 minutes actually underestimating Ake. Uh, mm. I love him. I've sung his praises before. I think he's quite comfortably, if you want to label him this way, the best fourth choice centre-back in the Premier League, comfortably. Yeah. Uh, I think he walks into centre-half at probably 18 to 19 of the other Premier League mm. clubs in mm. their first team. Uh, he was gutted when he came off. He was gutted. Mm. Uh, obviously, he may be viewing this in a way that if he, he... He might not see a route back into the first team, basically, if Laporte and Stones are fit yeah. before he is. For me, I was sat there thinking, you know, I was gutted for him, but I'm thinking, it's fine. We've got Stones to come on. Stones is great. Diaz is great. Uh, sorry, we've got Diaz to come on. Diaz is great. Mm. Stones is great. We're going to be fine. And then we conceded three goals. Mm. So uh, I, I think I was guilty as well of underestimating his impact. Um, I don't really know what to say about it, to be honest, because he was he was undroppable. Mm. He was undroppable. Mm. I think even if he had a magic sponge for Laporte and Stones, Ake would have been the one to continue starting alongside Diaz in the main. Um, I, we'll, I don't know we'll just have to see but I can understand why he's so upset because it is really hard to see a route back for him now if yeah. if if it is the case that Laporte is fit and firing before he is yeah it's definitely one to watch and, and obviously hopefully it's just a sort of one week two week sort of, of uh, injury there's no um, early September international break so it's straight through with the domestic football and we'll wait and see how that goes but I I mean, I completely subscribe to that. He, he, he was sort of borderline heartbroken when he was coming off the pitch and just going off the, the Together documentary that's obviously being aired at the moment. You see his personal side and you see how sort of human he is. And, and this is probably the, the fourth or fifth episode in a row I've said that keeping Nathan Ake at the club was one of City's best bits of business this summer. Because as you say, if you want to label him as a fourth-choice centre-back, there is quite literally nobody better in the league. And I would make a case that, Liverpool in possession could do with a left-sided centre-half like Nathan Ake to sort of balance that back line out a little bit. And and there is probably every single Premier League club in, in the in the league that he'd start at. So, big, big blow. And it, it, it's definitely one to watch over the next coming days to see how severe that injury is. And obviously, fingers crossed, it isn't. Um, a lot of doom-mongering so far today. It, it seems as though City has sort of had a really bad day at the office but it's not the case but um, I'm afraid we have to continue on this sort of on this downward sp- uh, on this downward spiral to something you've already alluded to today and it was that Foden Harland saga um, we asked for some thoughts from our Twitter followers at City Report Pod after the game and, and a lot of the talk was around that incident in the first half at 1-0 where Foden broke through and 
decided to shoot instead of um, attempting to square the ball to Haaland, who was in the box. Now, I have some pretty distinct thoughts on this. I assume you do too, but um, I'll hand you the reins to start off with. What did you make of that? And do you think the criticism surrounding Foden's non-pass instead of instead of shooting is fair? Uh, look, he, he, he's, he's locked up. He, this, the pace he was going at, he, he was shaping up. So, I, I, I just think it's crazy analysing this so closely, really. Mm. Uh, it, my initial thoughts was that he was selfish, again, initially, yeah. when I watched it full speed in real time when I was watching the game. But then you watch it back, he's got a defender tracking him very closely, he's moving at full pelt, and the way he's he's moving onto the ball, he's already shaped himself up to shoot. Um it's just a split-second decision and a player that's as good as Foden, you have to trust it. But the the other side of this is still that these players have to get used to Haaland's movements. Mm. And you can see game by game, they're starting to get into it. Haaland had 30-odd touches this game. Uh, he saw a lot more of the ball in front of goal. They're getting there very, very quickly. But the position that Foden's playing in and what he's been drilled to do for almost two years now is to get into that position and have a shot because you're very, very unlikely to have anyone, number one, pulling defenders away from mm. the penalty spot area and two, having a runner that's already in there. You know, players like Gundogan, Pep loves because he, he says he arrives in the box at the right time. But Gundogan is still, despite arriving in the box, a late runner. We've not had anyone that has been on that shoulder ready to break into that penalty spot area and attack that space. He's going to get it. He's going to get used to it. And next time, almost subconsciously, he will make that judgment call of, I'm going to just fling this across the box. Even if I can't see Haaland, I'm going to put it there anyway because I, I know and I trust that he's there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, he'll get used to it. He'll get used to it. I, I did, I did it, as I say, initially think he was just being selfish. Um, but maybe not. That That's probably just routine for what he's been trained to do over the last two years. Um, but it, it was actually, funnily enough, the criticism that I did have of Foden when we last spoke about him was his finishing. Um, he has taken on those shots, obviously, this week <clears throat> and last week, and he hasn't put the ball in the net. That is still one element of his game that he does need to improve. Um, he's great everywhere else. I, I've sung his praises from the rooftops every time I've spoken about him. If he can get his finishing right, then he's got every right in the world to take that shot on instead of putting mm. it across goal. In fact, if he'd scored, no one's even talking about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I've not got a massive problem with it. They'll get used to it. And then Foden, if he can, if he can improve his understanding with Haaland and improve his own finishing ability, then either way, that ball's ended up in the back of the net, and we're all happy. Mm. Yeah, certainly. It, it feels like something out of nothing, which is a bit bizarre because we're spending so long speaking about it. But that. That sort of move last season was almost a, a trademark Phil Foden move. I remember his goal at Anfield was almost identical, even potentially Anfield the year before, going back to it. And, and, and there's been a few times he's broken, he's had that shot because quite simply there hasn't been anyone to cross to. It just, the, the, with the false nine, it just doesn't exist. The player isn't there. Um, I'll, I'll start by saying, first of all, I was with you with that sort of initially, I'm thinking, could he have squared it, blah, blah, blah. But we obviously have the benefit of the widescreen television and seeing it, seeing it from that view. 
But yeah. looking back, I, I don't actually think the pass is on, to be honest, because it, there's a covering defender who does who defends really well. He pushes him out wide and he sort of says, right, okay, your only option here is to shoot from an acute angle and, and shoot he does. Obviously, good save, you know, not not the hardest of saves for Nick Pope, but but a good save. Um if Haaland was arriving at the back post, then it's it's a much more viable argument for me because that ball can go across the box. You either have a defender having to sort of run in towards goal, make a, a good clearance, or the goalkeeper sort of parrying it out, and, and then maybe Gundogan runs on or whatever. But the 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 movement from Haaland wasn't exceptional. It wasn't sort of the best move he's done, and, and perhaps he could have arced his one a little bit. I don't know. We're not going to microanalyze it like that. But that aside. I do find it incredibly strange we're having this discussion in the first place because I think it's only because of Erling Haaland himself we actually are. If that's Ilkay Gundogan now, that's Bernardo Silva making that run, we simply do not speak about it. There is not a screenshot, there is not a tweet, there is not a conversation, but it's just because there's so much clamour around Haaland, and understandably so, because you know he, he is a he is a really exciting player. You, you're not going to begrudge players uh, people for wanting him to score goals, but because of that clamour for him to get on the score sheet as as, as often as he can, it's why we're having this, and and. I feel as though there has to be sort of people have to cool their expectations around this man because yes, he will score a lot of goals, but it doesn't have to be with every single attack. You know, and don't get me wrong. The, the, the funny thing is that the funny the funny thing is sorry, Amos. This propagates even further than the City fan base this time because the football uh, fancy Premier League community, yeah, the, yeah. the FPL Twitter yeah. is all over this because everyone owns. I own Harlan. Harlan was my yeah. captain this weekend. Like everyone's got him, so. It's, it's just beyond the City fan base that this mm. scrutiny is coming from as well. It's like FPL Twitter are going mad, like Foden, why are you not passing it? Why are you not passing it? Yeah. But you're right, it's comp- it's absolutely, like, I- I'm just, the whole thing, honestly, that I'm, I'm really pissed off with the kind of things I've had to sit and read and listen to this weekend because mm. it, it's just crazy that we're, we're micro-analyzing angles of Foden's, <laughs> Foden's lines of sight into the box yeah. and the pace that he's, oh, it's just it's just stupid um, again similar to what I just said about reactionary takes on Walker um, just sit back and enjoy the fact that Foden and Haaland are going to score and assist a hell of a lot of goals between them this season and that's it chill <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I mean it is okay. I'm I'm unsure there's ever been a Premier League footballer who's had this much attention on him, and I guess it leads on to our next point because we'll stick with Harland and another really really impressive performance from him, and he's really starting to find his feet. You feel he had the least touches of any player on the pitch with 33. That's of the players who started the game, but as I say, every single week it doesn't matter if Harland has one touch but he scores goals and contributes to attack. And, and that's certainly what he did on Sunday. Um, could have really been more than just the one for him against Newcastle. But I, I think I'm I'm safe in saying that was probably, and I don't know if you agree, but but for me, that was certainly his best performance in a City shirt so far. Oh, he was so good. You, I'm so excited about this guy, really. Mm. he He's like... Do you know what amazes me the most? He, he's got all of the things that we, we saw from Aguero. Um, mm. he's, he's happy to drop in. He's happy to play with his back to the defender. He's got the strength, albeit a different sense of gravity than Sergio had, I think about a foot higher. Um, mm. he's, he's got all of these things. But what amazed me the most about Haaland was his ability to beat his man. Mm. Because you yeah, look yeah. at a guy with a frame like that, and it's one thing being surprised at his pace. It's another when he starts 
ghosting past defenders, just little tippy taps and then shifting mm. it onto his right and stepping that way. And the guy, I, I listened to the Football Ramble podcast and their comparison, which is probably, I guess, the biggest compliment you can pay any young striker in world football is they see Ronaldo Nazario in him. Mm. Um, yeah. The man R9 in that the guy's a big frame. He's running at you like a herd of elephants and with a little twinkle toe tap of the ball, he's past you. And that that is what amazed me the most. Um, but he had a phenomenal performance. He, he, his physicality is unbelievable. He was Defenders were bouncing off him. He was beating his man, getting his shots off, left foot, right foot. Could have had another couple of goals, especially a you know, brilliant solo goal if it wasn't for Nick Pope. Um, he was fantastic. I'm so excited to watch this guy mm. develop under Pep because I, I do think he's got everything and he's already really started to address the doubts that we had about him, which is one, can he fit? Yes, he's been dropping in. He's been happy to play that false nine role in transition. And then when he's in the box, he, he already yesterday was finding more space than he did last week. Mm. That's one week of training. He's managed to find space in a box, um, arguably up against a better defence. So, yeah, um, I, I don't really know what, what more there is to say. He's, he's, he's just, he's the guy's fucking phenomenal, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. So I mean, lucky. we're exactly. so lucky to watch this guy. Exactly, it's frightening in a way to think of what could come. Obviously, uh, just going back to it for the benefit of the younger listeners, Ronaldo Nazario, the original Ronaldo, not that uh, Cristiano one from down the road. But um, but yeah, it, it was a really really good performance from him. And um, I saw a, one of those sort of short clips up highlight reels of his game, and I'm absolutely with you. One thing I took away from it was the fact that the amount of fouls players tried to commit on him, but he just shrugged them off with ease. And, and, and he's somebody, I tweeted this, but he's somebody who looks as if he's very, very reluctant to go down unless sort of in and around the box where a penalty or free kick can be a one or there's a genuine foul. Because there were a few times where on the edge of the, uh, sorry, on the halfway line, players were just sort of, it was almost like, it, I, I sort of made the comparison, it was almost like a dad playing with the younger kids in the fact that you just had these sort of, minnows trying to grab onto this absolute beast of a, of a human being and they're just shrugging them off left, right and centre. It reminds me of Yaya Torre's goal against yes. Aston Villa. Yeah. Jack Grealish's yeah. debut at the Etihad. Yeah. Um, yeah. When he just kind of shimmied past a couple of defenders and then just belted past the rest of them yeah. and finished it. It literally reminds me of that. And that was the comparison given to Yaya at the time. It, it mm. was like an adult playing with a bunch of kids. Yeah, yeah, it, it felt like that. Someone playing FIFA on on cheat codes. Um, more of a general question then, and apologies, this is so tenuous, but stick with me. Um, in the UK, it's coming up to that sort of time of year when schools go back, and obviously the the sort of the new term, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, if you were to almost assume the role of uh, of City Report school teacher again, horribly tenuous, but. How would you be rating his performance so far? Give us, uh, in a City shirt that is, give us a couple of plus points, what you've been sort of uh, really impressed with and something that if you were sat face-to-face with with a young Erling, you'd be able to say he, he could potentially improve on. Um, <laughs> a minus. Mm-hmm. He's slotted straight in. He's playing to the system. Every week already, there's an improvement in what we're seeing. Uh, but what can he improve? 
it's a bit. It's actually completely nuts that I'm saying this, but he's missed a couple of chances that he should have scored. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> including yesterday, I think he had one that flashed across the far post as well last week before it just before he got subbed off. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's probably the biggest compliment that I can pay the most clinical striker in the world. That the only weakness in his game is that he could perhaps be finishing a little more. Um, that that really is is the only thing that I've had a real issue with, I guess, at the moment. I, I wouldn't even say an issue. I'm just kind of needlessly picking him apart here. Mm. Um, mm. That That's it. He, he could have had a couple more goals across the couple of fixtures, um, but everything's been great. I, I think he's done everything we've expected of him. He's actually, for me, surpassed expectations because I think the more level-headed City fans or even cynical City fans amongst us were saying it wouldn't surprise anyone if he does need three, four, five, six months to go up to speed. Yeah, uh, he's up to speed. He's up to speed, and and Pep's been gushing about him in his press conferences as well, making his jokes. Uh, it, yeah, he's he's been fantastic. Um, just that a minus. He's he's had three goals in the league. Could have had yeah. five or six. Yeah, but again, that that's that'll get better with time. Yeah, three goals, one assist, um, four goal contributions in three games. I mean, it's looking pretty good, isn't it? Um, I guess my I mentioned it a little bit earlier on, and and it's completely not his game. It's not it's not something that he needs to sort of address himself. But 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 what I'd say could potentially down the line become not an issue, but something to watch out for is City out of possession with Haaland at the top. And I felt against Newcastle, there were there were a couple of occasions, um, very two very good centre-halves as well, the, the Newcastle were playing with, but they had a pretty comfortable time in just picking passes and... Um, Perhaps that helped them sort of in their build-up play, but but I'd have to see some stats because I've I've sort of done the lazy route and not picked them out. But just having a look at how many times Harlan pressures that back line because it's something that we've almost become accustomed to with obviously Sergio Aguero, even going back to sort of Carlos Tevez, that sort of high press centre forward. Like I said, it's not Harlan's game, so it's not something we need to need to properly fret about. Um, we've had another question then, and we'll move on to sort of a wider look at the game. And it comes from Minx Footy, who asks us, and uh, you can have a go at this first of all, Ollie, because they've said, please break down what the fuck was going on tactically in that game. And I mean, we've, we've sort of said it was an anomaly <laughs> and it was a bit of a weird football match to start off with so I'm not quite sure how we're going to find a, a real concrete angle here but we'll give it a go um, but it, it really was a, a strange football match so any sort of idea as to what the fuck was going on tactically in that game yeah uh, I'll start with the easier one which is down the left side which becomes a lot less complicated when it's a duo of Foden and Chancello we've got Chancello mm. playing that underlap occupying that half space when we've got them pinned back in settled possession we've got Foden occupying wider to the right uh, to the left, sorry. Whereas on the right-hand side, it was the other way around. We had Walker as the... Uh, well, hmm. in in theory, Walker as the overlap and Bernardo as the inverted. But the mm. way it actually played out was De Bruyne was occupying that, that kind of wider space mm. at times. Bernardo was the one that was starting to move inside and Walker was then taking up De Bruyne's slot in that central midfield. But I don't think anyone's actually... Uh, asking what the fuck was going on tactically when we're on the ball. I think people want to know what on earth was happening when we weren't on the ball. Mm. Um, And I alluded to the problem earlier. The way I see it is that we were caught off guard by the intensity and purpose and pace of Newcastle's counter-attacks. They 
sat forward with St. Maximan and Callum Wilson. They left them up top. And when Walker then occupied that central midfield position, and for all his qualities, Walker isn't the best central midfielder. He's not, the, the guy isn't Chancello in possession. Mm-hmm. So Walker was almost a pressing trigger. And when they did win the ball back, no matter how fast Walker is, you are going to struggle or he is going to struggle to get back into position in time to get his feet settled and to address the threat properly. And we'll notice as well that I think it was the, forgive me, it was either the second, first or second goal. I think it was the second goal. Because Walker was so far out of possession because of where he was asked to be, Stones was then meant to come across and track the runner whilst Walker pulled inside into the centre-half position to track the ball carrier. And Stones got it all wrong Mm. when he was then having to pull and swap with Walker. And Wilson, obviously, great touch, took it past Diaz and and finished superbly. So, like I said, I think Walker is, for me, in my eyes, half-protected just by the tactical setup. Um, I hate saying it, but that's on Pep for me. I think Mm. once they had that first counter or two, alarm bells should have been going and instructions should have been going out to Walker to just really sit flat with uh, with the centre-halves. Um, yeah, going forward, pretty straightforward. We've seen it all before, similar patterns. It, it was it was on the break that we were caught out. But the vast majority of the teams in the league don't have that kind of quality. Um, mm. we, we played right into the hands of Sim Maximum. I mean, the guy was licking his lips, really. Um, and then for Wilson to just come, cause complete chaos on the inside of him. Uh, so, yeah, tactically... Fine going forward. Obviously, three goals. We didn't change how we played. I think even after they scored the third, that Walker was still playing playing that suicide position. Um, but yeah, at the back is kind of where it fell apart. And perhaps when we're up against the pacier wingers, we need to review where we're putting those those fullbacks. Yeah, yeah. I, I love when this happens, mainly because it's so infrequent, but also because it makes me feel really smug. But on the preview show earlier, uh, sorry, last week, before the Newcastle game, we pointed out how City's inverted fullback system had the potential to be absolutely torn to shreds by Alan St. Maximan. And that's exactly what happened, at least in the first half. And I mean, you mentioned there that, that Pep Guardiola should have said immediately, you know, call it a day, go back to what we used to. But And I mean, I was thinking that. Um, I'm sure every single person watching that was thinking that. But it, I think what we have to address is the fact that this is this is a new system in a sense. And um I remember, I remember when I was was doing some football coaching in in in, a, in another life a few years ago. Um, I was I was speaking to some sort of more senior coaches who had done semi pro, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and they said when they're looking to implement new systems, and by no means is it to the complexity of having your fullbacks play holding midfield, but more as like if you're going with a back three for the first time as opposed to a back four, the worst thing you can do for the long run is. 10 minutes into the game, if you're 2-0 down, say, you know what, call it a day. Because it, at that point, the players think, well, that's not worth That's done, you know, psychologically, you're thinking that that's done and dusted. So I suppose the 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 rationale, if we're to sort of delve into Guardiola's head for a moment, is we're going to stick with it because come, I don't know, April, May, when it starts to get serious, that could be a really, really beneficial system to play. But I do feel as though there are certain players in world football like Alan St. Maximan who 
are just going to relish on that situation, all that space. I mean, dear me. Um, after half time, as you mentioned, there was a, a convin- uh, sorry, a switch to a more conventional fullback system, and I don't know if that was sort of based on. I presume it was reactionary, considering what was going on, or it's especially felt like that on Cancelo's side. Um, for me, that shift gave City's centre-backs a lot more time on the ball and we saw those driving runs from Ruben Diaz a couple of times stepping into midfield. I mean, he nearly got one of the assists of the season, dribbling past two or three players and, and sort of around the corner pass to Erling Haaland. There's a great thread on Twitter actually by at Rahul MCFC who, who broke down those shifts in formation in great detail and, and we've reposted it on the Twitter uh, City Report pod Twitter feed, if you want to go and check that out. But there were certainly shifts in that second half that really allowed City to dominate. And I mean, that last half an hour, you mentioned before that you felt like City left themselves enough time to go in and win it. If we're being critical, do you think City probably should have in that last half an hour, 25 minutes, found that winning goal? Because at that point, Newcastle's objective was to just see out the game. Yeah, I mean, the momentum was with us. Newcastle were mentally and psychologically struggling by then because mm. they they picked up such a convincing lead and just seen it disappear within the space of a few minutes. And you can understand that psychologically. It's, it's devastating for them. Uh, but like I say, I think it, it was the events that followed that just broke up that momentum and we just couldn't get that flow back. Mm. A couple of bad decisions as well in terms of our approach play. I think one right at the death, Walker just kind of playing this brain-dead floaty cross that ended up straight Mm. into Nick Pope Mm. near the end comes to mind. Um, I I would expect us to have gone and got a winner. It's a shame that we didn't. It's like if you say, all right, put City and Newcastle on the pitch for 30 minutes, Newcastle are going to be pinned back, a City going to score. Yeah, Mm. of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But yeah, it it was a shame. Um, But yeah, it's just... That's how it is, isn't it? Should we touch on the red card then? Because obviously it's crazy. We've covered so much from this game and it feels like we're still yet to talk about possibly the most contentious moment and the biggest talking point. Um, Trippier obviously initially sent off by referee Jared Gillett, only to be overturned via the monitor moments later. I'll let you go first again because I've got I've got words to say on this, but I, I'm not actually sure where you stand on whether or not you thought it should have been a red initially and mm. whether or not it was right to overturn the decision. Initially, I thought it was a yellow. Uh, mm-hmm. I was actually shocked when that red card came out. Watching the replay, it looks pretty bad in slow motion. Both feet off the ground. Uh, knee height, cynical as anything. City on the break. For me, the way I saw it was it can be a yellow, it can be a red. They've, mm. I think Alan did a very similar one on yeah, Alan yeah. Maximum from Everton last year. That's That's been doing the rounds on Twitter. You've seen them given as red. You've seen them given as yellow. My take is that whatever the referee gives, he's got to stick to. Mm, mm. That was how I felt about it. If he'd given a yellow, no problem. If he'd given a red, no problem. Uh, but I think he's just bottled it, really. Um, mm. It doesn't set a great precedent. Precedent there, no. words. doesn't set a great precedent either <laughs> uh, when they are calling back fouls like that. Um it's just a bit of a shambles, really, from both VAR and the ref. Yeah, yeah, perfectly put. I mean, in my notes, I've literally got that. I said, first of all, I'll start by saying, it, covering, covering all bases, it, it was probably a soft red, but had the referee given a yellow card initially, mm. no complaints, really. I'd probably look at it and go, 
got away with one there trips but but other than that i'm not sort of screaming at the tv or, or screaming going that needs to be changed blah, blah blah but then the fact that the referee has as good a view as you can get in person i mean that that where he was uh, that was something i noticed on the replay when i was looking at it. where where the referee was in in sort of uh, in terms to the the actual incident was as as good as you can get if he was if if he was to be placed on the pitch he'd choose there um i, I don't in a million years believe kieran trippier was intentionally trying to injure de bruyne at all i mean i don't know the guy but he seems a nice enough fellow and he came out and said that you know i wasn't doing that i promise i wasn't doing that in a sort of like naughty school child way um, but it, it, it is a seemingly innocuous tackle, but it's those sort of tackles that can end up causing quite a lot of damage. Now, I don't know if you remember, Ollie, um, the 2017-18 season. I think there was a, a couple of games in which Guardiola and the players addressed something like this, and, and there was one away to Cardiff in the FA Cup where Leroy Sane was taken off injured after a similar incident, and, and I think there was one against West Brom where... City scored. Now, I don't know if De Bruyne had got the goal or, or he made the assist, but after the goal, De Bruyne was absolutely livid with one of the West Brom players for, for the tackle in the build-up that, that he was able to ride, but sort of said, you know what, if I'd, if I'd have had connection there, then it would have been daylight, it would have been game over. And I mean, if I'm playing football, five-a-side, six-a-side, seven-a-side, Sunday league, whatever it is, at, at sort of the lowest amateur level possible, someone does that tackle on me, whether or not I get stand-up straight away or, or it take, I take a knock from it, I'm furious because I know that is it, it, it's inches, literally millimeters away from being a really, really bad tackle in terms of the the consequence. But I don't play professional football. I can only imagine if that's your livelihood and you know you're out for three, four months because of a cynical foul like that. Like I said, didn't mean to injure him, but it, it is literally the margins. He could have he could have grabbed him with his hands if he wanted to bring him down. That would have been a yellow. Everyone gets up, shakes hands, and gets on with it. But it's the fact that it's off the ground. It's not in control. It, you know that term "reckless." I sort of, sort of feel like is a little bit overused, but it did look reckless. And yet, I think the only saving grace for him, and it must be why it got overturned, was the fact that it was his foot, top of the foot, not the studs that connected. And and that's really for me the only reason I can see why it was overturned. Because for me, it, as soon as that referee makes a decision, going to the monitor shouldn't change a thing. Yeah, it's that old argument as well, and that old debate about intention versus execution. Mm. Um, if a player does go for a horrendous studs up challenge and completely misses the opponent, what what do you give them? Um, yeah, I know. It, it, it's kind of similar in that, yes, it was reckless. It was dangerous in its... It had the potential to be dangerous, depending on how it connected, but mm. ultimately it wasn't. Um, like you say, if he's sent off, it's probably a soft red. Mm. Um if it's a yellow, which it was, he's got away with it. The thing is that VAR shouldn't be undermining a referee there. It, it mm. isn't a clear and obvious error. VAR have got to look at that and say, it's either a soft red or a lucky yellow. You've made the call that it's a red in real time. You don't need to look at the monitor. Crack on. Yeah, That's how it yeah. should have been. And it would have been a little bit lucky for us then. And obviously everyone would have complained and so City are paying PGMOL and <laughs> all the all that reactionary stuff that we love. Um, VAR, VAR have bottled it and then the refs doubly so. Uh, yeah, it, it should have stood being a red in the first instance. And yes, it did have the potential to be dangerous, but you know, thankfully he didn't connect. It's no good. It, you can't say, well... I'd rather he connected and been sent off because a tackle like that, you don't know yeah. what, what kind of damage it can do. So I think all parties have probably 
they'll probably just take that eventual outcome, to be honest. But VAR have got to be really careful about overturning stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll delve into the world of conceptualism for a moment, and I mean, I believe we're, we're probably too sort of on the on the uh, on the line of being football purists in a way, but uh, and we don't want to rewrite the rules of football. But there's been a lot of chat in the last sort of forty eight hours in terms of this sort of term orange cards and the potential for sim bins. I mean, I uh, as a, a work point of view cover quite a bit of non-league and, and quite um I think it was last season or maybe the season before this idea of sin bins was brought in and I think it's mainly due to dissent where at that level you do get quite a lot of you know nasty stuff and it was giving the referees more uh, more power but in terms of the professional game is that something that you'd be open to see because I mean again soft red does he deserve to go off the pitch for the entire game probably not does he deserve to stay on the pitch after that for, for a period of time? I don't know. Would you be open to seeing something like a 10-minute a, a sin bin or a five-minute sin bin being brought in for tackles like that? Um, not really, to be honest. I think it's you're just going to invite a whole host of other problems, really, because then you've got a discussion about, well, if they do the five minutes, at what point can they come back onto the pitch? If mm. the player's served his five minutes but City are attacking... And Trippy is there waving to get on, and the ref saying no, not yet. And City score a winner. Yeah, you know the, the, there are so many potential issues around it that <clears throat> I don't think it's it's going to be viable. Um, there the maybe should be some kind of middle ground in terms of after the game, so perhaps an official caution, and then okay. if you get two official cautions, right. You then get a one match suspension. So, but then, I, but then again, you know, I'm just kind of arguing this out in my own head. When yeah, people say, yeah, yeah. Well, then it's just a red card incident. That's it. If he's getting yeah. an official caution beyond the yellow card, then it has to be a red card. Uh, but no, I, the orange cards, sim bins, no, none of that, not for me. Um, give them a yellow card, make them walk on eggshells, send them off if, uh, if they go too far. We just need some consistency. That's all. Mm. Now, VAR have got a problem because if they want to maintain consistency, next time there's what could be considered a clear but soft red card, what do they do? If they don't turn it over, like they didn't with Allen against Allen St. Maxman, mm. they just cre- they create problems for themselves. This is the thing with PGMOL and VAR. VAR, I love it, but the, the execution is just awful at the moment and they've they've, they've got to get their shit together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at leagues across Europe and it's a completely different picture. Saying that, I don't even know if red plus yellow equals orange, so it could just be sort of some murky brown. Maybe we have brown cards No, instead. it does. I think, I, think, I think you're good on the spectrum there. I think it does. Right, okay, fair enough. There's my colour wheel out the window. Um, I think that will finally, about 50 minutes in, do from the Newcastle game itself and, and a really, really entertaining contest, I have to say. I mean, yes, City, would, City winning would have been superb, but I feel not to sort of do the manager spiel there could potentially be more learned from a, a free free draw in that in that sense than it would have been if it was a win etc. But we'll, we'll leave that behind and I guess sort of we'll we'll wrap up then by if if we can sort of uh, muster the energy. Speaking about this friendly match upcoming in on Wednesday in Barcelona, um, I'm still not taken to it to be honest. I think it's a colossal waste of time, except for the fact that it's for a fantastic cause and obviously someone who's who's quite close to the the heart of Pep Guardiola um, in terms of the, the charity it's going to. I guess if we're looking at it from a footballing point of view, great chance to see some of those fringe players we haven't seen so far, like uh, Calvin Phillips, Sergio Gomez, Stefan Ortega, etc., etc. 
Yeah, that's it. It's, it's another preseason friendly almost, isn't mm. it? Um, yeah. Charity match. The, the, the only regret that I've got is that we are doing Barcelona a favour. Yeah. I, I, yeah. My, my disdain for that club. Um, I mean, like anyone, they were my favourite club growing up outside of City. Yeah, yeah. With with Pep in my teenage years, with Pep, with Messi, Eto, Ronaldinho, so many mm. brilliant, brilliant players. They, they were... They were Mexico own club. They were more than a club, and they, yeah. they were on the pedestal of, of what every single football club should have aspired to be. And arguably, that is what that vision of Barcelona is what we're built on. And what they've become now is an absolute bastardization of the vision that Cruyff and Pep built. And they have no shame in trying to unsettle not only get our players from a city perspective, Pep's players. The, the fact that they're doing this with Pep's players is disrespectful enough in itself, given that considering what he gave to them as a club, both as a player and as a manager, I have built up levels of disdain for them that probably are only surpassed by my levels of hatred for Liverpool and United. Um, as an institution, I think I think they've disgraced themselves. I think they've disgraced their fans. They've embarrassed their players. They've mistreated them. It's just a shame that we've got to go over there and our execs will be shaking hands with their execs. And then the very next day, they'll go out to the press and they'll say, Bernardo Silva, and they will brief this. When City fly home after this friendly, Barcelona will go to the press and they'll brief City were you know, were, were disingenuous and they didn't want to deal with Barcelona. They'll go out and put a whole host of negative press out there after us going and flying out and doing them a favour with this friendly. Um, I, I would love if City would just sever ties with that club completely. But obviously, given the Catalonian personnel that we've got, that's not going to happen. Yeah, we covered this actually last week and said, I mean, Adam was was loving this sort of, this collapse, this fall from grace. But I, I said similar to you that they were this this pinnacle of European football. They were outside of City, the the one team you looked at. On your, and especially because City weren't competing in Europe at this point. But the, the, the one team you looked at and, and sort of wished success upon, now as an organisation, it, it, it reeks. It really does reek. It, it, it It's not a good look. And I mean, you always had that good v bad. Uh, I'm just sort of repeating myself here, but you always had that good v bad with Real Madrid and Barcelona. For me now, on, on, on an absolute level, I mean, Real Madrid must be laughing at the sort of the, the car crash they're get, at Barcelona getting themselves into because it, it does. I've actually, I've actually gained respect for Madrid. I've gained respect for Madrid <laughs> because even though I'm not you're a bolder man than me. You know, because even though I'm not a massive fan of their, their, their dealings with regards to the European Super League, they have run the club responsibly at the end of the day. They are not in the masses of debt that Barcelona are in. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of Real Madrid's finances, but ultimately mm. they are cracking on. They're signing yeah. the players that they want to sign. They're getting them registered, no problem. Uh, and they're just getting on with their business and winning Champions Leagues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So And, and, and winning the league. So I've, I've gained respect for Real Madrid in that, in the face of a difficult situation for La Liga, where the league has become completely eclipsed by the Premier League, both in financial terms and its following, Real Madrid have managed to managed to retain their prestigious status at the top of football. And I respect them for that, however they've done it. I don't know if the, the, clean, the, the uh, dealings are dirty or clean, I don't know, but they've done it. And Barcelona haven't. And Barcelona have disgraced themselves. They've disrespected people. They've disrespected Pep. Um, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't care less about that club anymore. Which is sad. It's so sad because I was so excited when I was nine years old when we had our 
opening game at the Etihad or what was yeah. then Eastland, City, Manchester Stadium and Barcelona came to town, yeah, including yeah, yeah. Ronaldinho, the Ronaldinho. It was like the most exciting moment for me of a pre-season friendly was the most exciting football moment for me in my whole life. Mm. Um, and now they're, they're just... I think they're a disgrace. Sorry, I, I keep. I shouldn't be ranting about Barca so much. <laughs> and I apologise to the Barcelona fans that might be listening to. They've yeah. got nothing to do with how how these successive presidents have run the club. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think we should be doing them any favours. Um, if not for a good cause, we shouldn't have anything to do with them. We shouldn't sell them players. We shouldn't buy players. Um, but you know, we we do have a Catalonian link with them, and that's not going to go anywhere. I think the term's rent-free. Um, to wrap up then, Bernardo <laughs> yeah, Silva. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, to, to wrap up, Bernardo Silva, just stick a GPS tracker on him at all times and hope Laporta doesn't try and sort of sneak him into his back pocket as, as we're leaving the building. I mean, that's that's how we've got to go about this, haven't we? He's going nowhere. They've not even registered Jules Koundé yet. They've got about eight days left before Koundé has to, Koundé's contract that they've paid for is severed because they can't <laughs> register him. So I think Barca have got bigger problems than, than trying to lock up Bernardo Silva. And anyway, the guy's too slippery. He'll just wriggle out the keyhole or something. You can't, you can't catch him. There it is. There it is. <laughs> it's been a, a very ranty episode, Amos. Yeah, it's been a very ranty episode. A very Bertie episode. What a great place to end. Um, Ollie, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming. Anything else Thank to add before we, before we hop off or, or are you all good for today? Glazers in. Glazers Support in. the Glazers. You, they're they're you, having a you, tough time. <laughs> are you not down to uh, down to Old Trafford this evening to join in the, the Glazers out protest then, I'm guessing? Oh, yeah, I, I, I bought up all the spare tickets, me. I, I've bought all the tickets. <laughs> I've got to make sure that those guys get their revenue and get their dividends. Glazers in. Stay strong. Stay strong. That will do for today's episode. If you can, as always, follow, subscribe, etc. Leave ratings, reviews, and we'll be back this week for a, a preview of Crystal Palace and chatting your UEFA Champions League group stage draw. So until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. 